I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I think we've got a good word tonight. I think we've got a, a surprising word from the Holy Spirit that he's been burdening me with lately about some things going on in our churches. <clears throat> tonight we want to talk about keeping the main thing, the main thing. And you do know that the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. I hope you know that. You're going to know it by the time we're done tonight. I'm watching us get off track a little bit in our land today. And, uh, you know, we need to be brought back to center. Don't know what a level is. You know what a plumb line Anybody here old enough to remember plumb lines? Amos chapter 7, verse 7 says God's word is a plumb line. It helps bring us back to center when we get a little bit off. Today we don't use plumb lines. Today we use levels and lasers. And I was planting a post last week, and uh, it was straight. I could tell it was because I looked. And I pulled the level out of my back pocket and the level was broken because the level said it wasn't straight, but I could see it was straight. The level said it was off a little bit to the east. The level was wrong. I know straight. I may even know that's dumb. All right. Do you know why I have a level? I can't tell straight with the naked eye. But that level will show me what straight is and that level will help me get back to what straight is. Y'all understand that? I, I don't know which ends up apart from God's word. Amos chapter seven, verse seven says, God's word is a plumb line. And God's word is the plumb line that I hold up to say, oh, I, 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 I thought I was on the money there, but I can see I need to move over about six inches. Are you with me? Could you imagine building a house without a level or a laser? You'd fall down and you walked in. Could you imagine building a life without God's word to show us this is the way walk in all right, today we're going to look at the level line in God's Word. Is anybody familiar with 1 Corinthians 13? Do you know what this is? Tell me what it's called. The love chapter. I believe it's the pinnacle of the Bible. Charles Stanley said this. You know, you can quote Charles because he's old and important. Charles Stanley said this. He said it's the most important chapter in the Bible. Charles Stanley says this is the crown jewel of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. Dr. Mark Rutland, who's probably the most brilliant mind in spirit-filled Christianity today, he said 1 Corinthians 13 is the greatest piece of literature ever written in world history. He's probably right. And this, you know what 1 Corinthians 13 is? No matter what I get into or where I go in the faith or where I'm at, I read it a lot because 1 Corinthians 13 is the plumb line or the level of life that brings me back to center to make sure I'm where I need to be. <clears throat> now it talks about love. It's called the love chapter, but listen, listen to me. It's not about loving God. That's in other parts of the Bible. First Corinthians 13 is about loving people. It's about believers loving other people, or as we, I like to call it, as the Bible calls it, the love walk. Ephesians chapter five says this, walk in love. And it says that the, I'm just gonna go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. Here it is. The most important thing you'll ever do is to learn the love walk. Nothing is ever above learning to walk in love with people. There's nothing you'll ever do more important. Nothing even comes close as this is going to teach us. So I want us to look at some things in 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, it, it breaks this down. 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses talk about the supremacy of love over everything else. Verses 4 through 7 define what love is. How many of you know we might need to have love defined? You ever had somebody say this to you? I love you, but... And their definition of love wasn't even close to what yours was, nor the Father's. Well, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, define love crystal clear. And it's the plumb line I can hold up to my life. And then I think one of the greatest promises in the Bible, I always quote this when I marry couples and tell them, here's one of the greatest three-word promises God will ever make any human being. Verse 8 says this, love never fails. It won't fail in raising children. It won't fail in your marriage. It won't fail in friendships. It won't fail in business. It won't fail in churches. And then it talks about, and then it goes on to talk about when I was a little baby, I acted like a little baby. But when I grew up, I started acting different. And it's talking about growing in love and growing in the love walk. Let's read a little bit together. First Corinthians 13, one, if I could speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a child who got a drum set at Christmas. That's all it is, isn't it? Boy, isn't that crazy? We love to talk about how great a speaker somebody is. What does God say? I don't care if you're the greatest speaker in the world. If you're not walking in love, you're just making racket. So it's pretty clear, isn't it? Number two, 
and this is what impresses people, though I have the gift of prophecy. He knew prophecy is uh, to encourage people, build people up, but it's also when the Holy Spirit tells you something you couldn't know any other way and you tell it to somebody. That's pretty impressive right there. He says, if I could do that and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I'm never know anybody that's got all knowledge. I'm never met somebody that, never mind. What if I had all faith so I could remove mountains of cancer? What if I had that kind of faith that I could pray and cancer always left? But have not love, I am nothing. Is that shocking? If I had the faith to remove cancer, but I'm not walking in the love walk, what does God say? Again, first three verses are the supremacy of love over everything else that we're so impressed with. Of course, verse three says this, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. I give every dime. I sell my house. I sell my truck. Sell my boat. That's love. I give every dime I got to feed people and I, I burn my body out. I burn out. The Bible says this, and I don't have the love walk, nothing. I mean, oh, that's pretty staggering, isn't it? I've never met anybody that even came close to everything he said there. But if I ever found somebody like that, that'd be pretty impressive. What if they weren't practicing the love walk? What does God say? What does the Bible say? See why this chapter is the plumb line of life. This, show, this shows me this is central right here. All right. <clears throat> I may even know that uh, we really do need to define love in our culture today. When a little teenage boy says to a girl, if you love me, you'd take your clothes off. I don't think that's love at all. I think it's animal lust. I think it's the, further, I think it's the furthest thing from love. You know, and, and what we're defining love as in a nation is just nuts. I'm having a, he who created everything and created love should be the one to define it. Watch what he says. And let me say before we read this, don't get the least bit discouraged. Please don't beat yourself up. I cannot go in the, I can't grow in the love walk unless he helps me. It, it's impossible for a human being to love like God. But my growth as a believer, it's a partnership. Now he's not going to do it for me. I don't just sit there like a pineapple and say, suck it to me. That's not how it works. I've got my part to play. He, he's not going to do it for me because he's not the doer. I'm the doer. He's the helper, but I'm the doer, but I can't do it without him. It is beyond human ability to love like God, but it's not beyond God's ability. And the number one thing I want to shoot for in my life is to love like Jesus loves. But, but listen to what the Bible says. It's a fruit of the spirit. Therefore, it has to what? It has to grow. It has to grow. And, and we want to grow. And uh, here's, here's our goal in life. Not to be perfect. Go ahead and give up. We, the day you're perfect, I'll be saying nice things about you. And you'll be right there. Stretched out. But our goal is to grow. I used to have a little country preacher friend years ago. And he prayed. He thought God was deaf. He always had to holler when he prayed. I always finished his prayer, but th thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God I ain't what I used to be. Well, I thought that was a pretty good prayer right there. And our goal was to go from where we used to be to where he's headed one day. I want you to look at the definition. This is how the Father defines love. Verse four, love suffers. No, don't say the long, just stop after suffers. He said, I'm not putting up with that mess. Well, that's not love then. Tell me the first thing the Bible says love does. Love suffers. I used to have the greatest picture. I wish I still had it. It was a large portrait of Jesus hanging on the cross, beaten beyond recognition. I've never seen a picture of Jesus on the cross that was even close. They, they were all minor. But this is as bad as I've ever seen him beat up on the cross. And he was beaten beyond recognition. And the caption said this, loving people can get a man hurt. Loving people can get you hurt. Tell me what love will do. Love's willing to suffer. They say, I'm not going to suffer. You can't follow Jesus then. Was Jesus willing to suffer? Greater love has no man than this than to suffer. Lay down his life for his friends. Love suffers for about 30 seconds and then it flies off the handle. Love suffers what? And is kind. Now listen to me. Here's, here's a problem that people don't understand unless you know the original language. People say, well, love is, some Bibles say love is patient, not even close. Patience when you, when you wait on your wife at Walmart, that ain't even close. Love suffers long, and then they say, number two, it's kind. No, no, no. In the original language, it's all one word. Love is kind while it's suffering long. It's what it says. So you can suffer long and not be kind about it. Get in, get in. 
Isn't it a, don't you find that strange? That when God Almighty describes love, the first thing he says about it is, it will be kind to people while it's suffering with them a long time. Don't you find that unusual? Guess where he got that from? Is anybody here can bear witness that God has been kind to you while he was suffering along with you? That's the love of God. I, I will, a lot of things I understand, but I will never understand why he loved me and was so good to me while I was still using his name in vain. I just don't get it. You cannot explain this kind of love. But the revelation of, isn't it funny how love doesn't start with anything else except, number one, you have to be kind to people while they're making you suffer. That's the first step in growing in love. I mean, now you see why we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Is it my base human nature to be kind to people while they're making me suffer? No, no, my base human nature is to give you the finger. <laughs> or walk off, or even if I'm a nice person, I'll just walk away from you. Love is kind to people while it's suffering along with them. The Bible said love does not envy. We have a tremendous problem with that in our nation right now. Wanting what somebody else has got. I don't want to spend too much time here. <clears throat> love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. You know what puffed up is? The, our translation would be arrogant, cocky. Y'all ever catch blowfish when you're fishing at the ocean? It's, a little, it's one of the ugliest fishes. It's got to be a mutation. He didn't make it like that. It's a little ugly fish and it's about the size of a man's fist. And, and you touch it on its back and it goes, and just, it's called, some people call them puffer fishes. They just blow up full of air. It's their defense mechanism. I got a lot of people who got that same defense mechanism. <laughs> you touch them in the wrong place and. <laughs> but what does the Bible say? Love is not puffed up. It, do, it doesn't get arrogant. And uh, we have a little problem with that in our nation right now. The Bible goes on to say this. <clears throat> Love does not behave rudely. You say, hey, what has being rude got to do with anything? If, if I can call down fire and I got prophetic words and I can cure cancer, God's interested in how you treat people. Love is never rude to people. And let me, let me I feel led of the Holy Spirit to say this. That applies to the person you're married to also. I said it, you get them. Here's one of the funniest things I ever saw in my life. I've seen people that sugar wouldn't melt in their mouth when I came around, but they'll be rude to their wife. I'm not keeping you warm at night. Why are you nice to me? <laughs> Never mind. That's not rude. Now, again, let me tell you something. This is not a command. This is a target. This is a promise that if I walk with Jesus, he'll get me here. Because I can't do this. I cannot make myself into the image of Jesus. As I behold Jesus, I am being transformed into the image of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So don't take this as a command. Go out and try to do it. You'll, if you try to do this and grit your teeth, you'll be meaner than the devil. Because the flesh will backfire. This is a goal. And this is a promise from God that if I'll turn him loose in my life, this is what I'll see growing. Not perfected, but growing. Got it? It does not have to have its own way. Is not provoked. It's not provoked means touchy. You know, anybody's touchy. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be asking this stuff. Here's a, this one's tough to understand. Thinketh no evil or thinks no evil. Now, when you hear that, you think about, it, you don't think dirty thoughts or mean thoughts. It's not at all what it means. Never remembers a wrong suffered. Love chooses to say, I don't care what you did to me. I don't remember it. Where's that come from? The new covenant God made with us. Hebrews 8, 12 says this. This is the covenant I will make with my people. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. I don't understand how in the great mind of God, he cannot remember anything I've ever done wrong. Once I confess it. That same book of Hebrews also says he can never forget anything I've done to help somebody. Even down to a cup of cold water given to a child. Now let me tell you what love does. Has anybody ever been wronged by anybody? Little stuff, big stuff. What does love always do? I don't remember that. You don't know me a thing. I'm talking to somebody not long ago and uh, something happened several years ago and they said something and I could hear a little bit of shame in their voice. I said, I don't remember that. And they said, don't you know, you remember? And I looked at them, I said, I don't remember that. And they started crying. I do remember it intellectually, but I choose not to remember it. And how many of you wish somebody would forget everything you've done wrong? 
How many of you like to be married to somebody that never remembered your mistakes? <laughs> I, I'm lucky. I'm blessed. Sorry, I hate the word lucky. I'm blessed. I am. Well, let me tell you something. If, you want to, if you'd love to be married to somebody that never remembers their mistakes, you start by being the first one. Sow it. See if you don't reap it. I, I, thought, I thought that sowing reaping stuff up. Number six, this is where we shift gears. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It only holds the truth. Dear ones, I don't care what you call love. If it doesn't line up with this word, it's not the love of God. I said, well, we, we just want to love people. Let everybody do whatever they want to. That's not love. Dear ones, don't pave the road to hell with human love. You love truth when you love the word. And then I love the four words in verse seven that says this. Love bears all things. Are you getting a feeling about, you, when I hear this, do you hear like a, there, there could be some strain in this thing. I mean, you know, like if you, uh, you know, if you're a babysitter and you go to keep somebody's young as you knock on the door and you say, I'm the babysitter. You hired this. We're glad you're here. Said, said, did you bring a pistol? Do you have a knife? Hope you got on a flak jacket. Have you got insurance? You begin to think, what, what the hell kind of kids have you got here? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> there was when our father says love is, is kind while it's suffering, it has to bear with some things. Do you begin to hear that maybe I might have to struggle through some things like Jesus did? Of course it do. Love bears all things. Uh, <clears throat> love bears all things for, let's read it. Love bears all things for 15 minutes. <laughs> love believes all things. Better translated, love always believes the best in people. Are we having a problem with that in our land right now? I won't take the time to send you to the book of Job where we see that I think the book of Job reveals the heart of God and the heart of Satan contrasted like no other place in the Bible where they got, they met face to face one day in the throne room of God. Satan came before God and God said, have you considered my servant Job, a good upright man who loves me? He hates evil and he honors me. And Satan said, only reason he serves you is because you give him stuff. Take his stuff away. He'll cuss you. There's the heart of God in the heart of Satan. God always sees the best in people. Satan always sees the worst in people. What a revelation. What does love always do? It always sees the best in people. It chooses to see the best in people. Dear ones, be very careful. I know a lot of believers that never smoke crack. They wouldn't run off with somebody else's wife, but they get that religious critical spirit on them. Amen. Just let me tell you something. Love always believes the best in people because it chooses to, and it trains itself to, and it, it goes upstream. The Bible says this love never stops hoping. I don't care how long you've been praying for that child. Don't you ever stop hoping? I don't care how long you've been praying for your husband. I don't care how long you've been praying for yourself to get this mess straightened out. Don't you ever stop believing he's the God of hope and love always hopes. And then the bottom line is love just will not stop. That's what the, you know what the word endures means. Somebody says, I'm going on a date with so-and-so this weekend. I hope you can endure it. Endures tells me there's going to be some rough sailing ahead. But love's going to choose to go through it, isn't it? All right, here's the, again the great three-word promise in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. I had a revelation on this years ago, and, and he, he taught me this. If you'll do what I said to do right here and let me grow this in you, love never fails. Your marriage will not fail if you'll practice this. I, I don't care. Marriages will never fail if they'll practice this. You'll be able to raise your children if you'll practice this. This, this seems like little dab stuff to us sometimes. What's the greatest thing we can pursue? To walk in love. And, and let me tell you what he taught me about churches. You don't have to be able to prophesy. You don't have to know all kinds of fancy things. You don't have to have, he said, you build your church on love, it'll never fail. Love never fails to accomplish God's purposes. The only thing that saved my soul was the love of God. It wasn't knowledge that did it. And uh, then the Bible talks about there's going to come a time, whether they're prophecies, tongues, knowledge, it'll cease. Advance. There, there was, there's going to come a day when everything else is going to disappear. The love of God will last forever. All right. I want to see if you agree with something the Father says right here in verse 9. We know in part, we prophesy in part. Verse 12 matches it. We see in a mirror dimly. Now we see in a mirror dimly, one day face to face. Now I know partially. But then I shall know as I am. How many of you would agree that we only know partially right now? How many of you, you understand what he's saying here? Our understanding is very limited today. I, I want to be the first to confess that there's times I think I know more than I do about people. 
And have you ever had a case where you thought something about somebody and you, you know what prejudice is, don't you, when you prejudge somebody? You ever prejudge something in a person and you got to know them better and you found out you were totally wrong? You know why that is? Because we know in part, we know partially. There's going to come a day we're going to know perfectly. But right now we know partially. Uh, There's a really rough translation in verse 12. It says, we see in a mirror dimly, not your mirror. See, when we look in a mirror, we see a perfect picture. They didn't have mirrors like we do back then. A mirror back then was, was brass. It was just polished brass. So when you looked in a mirror, you didn't get a perfect picture of yourself. You got this weird, fuzzy picture. Let, let me give you a better translation. Right now, we're looking at life and Jesus like it's through a frosted glass. We, we see some things, but we don't see perfect. Would that humble all of us to realize I don't know as much as I thought I did? And that we see partially, but there will come a day when I'll see clearly. And uh, that's why the Bible says we have to be very careful to walk in love with people. Now, <clears throat> here we go. How many of you know that when, when we start out, we start here and then we grow? Read this with me in verse 11. The Bible says this. In verse 11, we find this. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, God put away childish things. Is that what it says? Who put away the childish things? All right, you understand the picture, don't you? Here you got a little child. That you don't expect a, a six-month-old to go get a job, do you? Heck, I got some folks who don't expect a 30-year-old to go get a job. Sure, you don't expect a six-month-old to go get a job. You don't expect a six-month-old to clean up his room, do you? You know what? Six months old pooping their britches. They throw up. They make a mess. They don't clean up. You, you say, well, they're six months old. If you're still doing it at 42, we got a problem, doc. What's he talking about? You say, it's, it's like a person. They're born. You expect nothing out of them except to wake you up at night and barf on you and be fed. I, but as you grow up, don't, as kids grow up, don't we start giving them responsibility and start helping around the house a little bit at, at about... 25 and you know <laughs> times have changed since I was a boy back when Lincoln was in the White House things are different now I understand but um but let, listen when I became a man I went and got a job because I got to support my family when I became a man I began to clean up behind myself when I became a man I quit pooping in my britches <laughs> are you with me when I was a child I acted like a child but when I became a man things changed What's he talking about here? When I was first born into the kingdom of God and I was a baby Christian, I didn't walk in love. I didn't know how to. But I began to grow walking in love. And when I became mature as a Christian, I changed some things and I began to walk in love. I matured to where I began to walk in love. Now, dear ones, you have spiritual gifts the day you get saved. I've always been able to teach since the day I was saved. But, but, Walking in love is a, it's a growth process. It's the fruit of the spirit. Fruit don't pop out, fruit grows. What's the Bible saying here? Maturity is to grow in love and to walk with people in love. And I know some, uh, I know some people have been believers for 40 years. They're impatient. They're self-centered. They're rude. They're unkind. They've never grown up in the Lord. Some of them have got ministries. Some of them run the church board. That's why I'm bored when we have those meetings. Not our board. We wouldn't tolerate that here. But do you understand what the Bible's saying here? He's saying, listen, it's okay, to, it's okay to start out right here, but we all want to grow to maturity. And what's the mark of maturity? The love walk above everything else. I want you to look with me um, in scripture. I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter three. Well, before we turn, no, no, stay right there a minute. Stay right there a minute. Let's have a test. Can you see that in, in God's eyes, in our father's eyes, that the love walk is more important than prophesying. Now, I'm not negating prophecy. I think it's wonderful. I, I want prophets to mature though and quit tearing people up. That's part of the material. It's all part of the maturity process. We're so impressed with prophecy. And if we get somebody, I know people let the world go to hell if we see one person healed. That's out of balance. It's not wrong. It's out of balance. What is the one thing I should strive for more than anything else? Let me ask you this. What is, what is the pinnacle of, of following Jesus? What would you say it is? All right, let's look. Turn with me to Colossians chapter three. In Colossians chapter three, you know, I thought, and I came out of a school and, or a group that we worship knowledge. 
I mean, we just live for knowledge. The more you learn, the, the, you know, the, to grow in the Lord meant to learn facts and learn things and learn the Bible. And then learn it in seven languages. Once you've learned it, you've got to learn it in seven languages. Let me make an announcement. Knowledge is not maturity. You can know all kinds of stuff and not be mature. You can, you can be brilliant and be a pain in the neck. That's pretty good right there. You can be brilliant and be a pain in the neck. That's not the pinnacle. We've got to quit worshiping knowledge. I want you to look at me in Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at a couple of verses here. Therefore, as verse 12, Colossians 3, 12, as the chosen of God, holy and beloved. It all begins right there. It all begins knowing that God chose you and he loves you deeply. That's where you start with. <clears throat> put on tender mercies. Now, I want you to notice something with me. What does the word put on mean? Did it say God's going to sock it to you? Does put on imply that I have to do something? You know, when I get up in the morning, my clothes don't jump on me. I have to put them on. And you, you think of put on, I want you to look something with me in scripture in this passage. Verse nine, do not lie to one another since you have what? Put off the old man. How many of you got an old man? I'm talking about your husband. How many of you got an old man? An old fallen edemic nature that is self-centered and touchy and rude and gonna have your way. And how many of you got an old nature? It's gonna be with us till the day we see Jesus. How many of you got a new nature the day you found Jesus? Every single one of us that are born again got the new nature of Christ in us. But what does the Bible say? I want you to put off that old man with his deeds. He describes him. Verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of Jesus. I got Jesus inside of me, but I've also got old Brian in there. You say, why why didn't you get delivered? Take it up with him. I don't know. It's been fine by me. But dear ones, I got to walk this walk out every day of my life. And there's an old man in there and there's a new man in there. And can you see where he says, you got to put off that old man. You got to put on the new man. I get to make a decision. Every interaction of my life, I get to choose. Old Brian, new Jesus. How am I going to act? Now, let me ask you a question to see if you know the truth of God's word. He said, I just feel like slapping them, but I was kind to them anyway. Let me ask you a question. Were you faking it? No, that was great faith. That was great faith. When you obey God, whether you feel like it or not, that's not faking it. That's faith. And the good things come. And, and then my prayer when I walk off is, help me not to want to slap them no more. <laughs> y'all, don't, y'all don't deal with this stuff. Must be wrong message. No, I'm sorry. Here we go. Therefore, verse 12, therefore is the elect of God, beloved, put on. Over and over in the passage, it says put on, which implies I got to do something. Put on tender mercies. What would we call tender mercies today? We don't use that term in our culture. Tenderheartedness. There's no greater trait on this earth than a tender heart. The first promise of God for a newborn believer is what? I will take the hard heart out of you and I'll give you a tender heart. I want you to put on a tender heart. I want you to pursue that. Put on tender mercies, a tender heart. Kindness. You notice how the word kindness keeps showing up. Why do we not think kindness is a big deal with God? Why do we think kindness is just a minor league thing for nice old ladies? Why don't we realize that kindness is the mark of maturity? When we treat people as servants, that's the mark of maturity. I want you to put on kindness. I want you to choose it. Humility, meekness. There's that long suffering again. Look at this. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. What does that tell you about the people I got to live with? You know what we are? Even in a church, you know what we are? We're a bunch of porcupines that are cold. So we're going to huddle up with each other to get warm. There's a problem. It's hard to hug a porcupine. I'm telling you, it is hard. I don't care how much you need the warmth. What do you hear in the scripture right here? What do you hear God saying? My people are not going to be perfect. He says to me face to face. Quit wishing people were perfect. Learn how to treat them like I do. Learn how to treat people like I do. And, and listen, it's a growing process. He's already, we've already seen that. <clears throat> Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint, there's that word again, just, just drop it. Forgive them the way Jesus did you. I love this right here. I watch this verse. Now 14 is what I want you to focus on. Above all things, put on what? What What does above all things mean? Above prophecy? Above raising the dead? What's the most important thing I can do? What does God say is above everything else? Walking in love toward people. Put on love. Now watch what the Bible calls this, verse 14. Above all things, put on love which is the bond of perfection. The word bond is the word mark. Now, perfection don't mean I become a perfect person. It means I've grown up. 
What is the mark of a mature believer? Tell me what it is. They put on love. They walk in love. Now, let me tell you, we get in trouble in our land today. We think that a person who's really smart, knows a lot of scripture and, you know, knows it in three languages. We think that's something that don't mean anything to God. What's God want from us? I want you to learn to love each other. We think that a person that's got gifts or maybe they got something fantastic. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that stuff, but tell me what the mark of maturity is for a believer. When I was a child, I acted like a child, but when I grew up, what'd you see in me? I began to walk in love toward people. I began to treat people the way the Bible says treat people. It is, do you notice where the Bible calls it in verse 14? What does it call it? It's the mark of maturity. It's the goal that I shoot for. And maybe you had a goal like I did when you turned 16, you wanted to be able to drive a car. I understand now a lot of kids don't care about it. Man, I lived for the day I could drive a car. I, I wasn't mature enough when I started driving a car, but I wanted it real bad. But you had to wait till you got there. You had to go through training. That was the mark of growing. And see, back then, school kids drove school bus. 30 days after I got a license, I was driving a bus full of school kids all over Charlotte, having a large time, free, free gas. But the deal is the Bible calls it the mark of maturity. Do you understand that when we come to Jesus, dear ones, People say, what, what am I supposed to do now that I'm a Christian? Grow up. Start growing, start growing in the Lord. And it doesn't mean that you learned this and you learned that and you've memorized that and you've read 92 books. It means Jesus is working in you to make him like yourself. We put too much emphasis on learning, not enough on becoming like Jesus. All right, how many of you understand there's, there's a stacked uh, ladder in this thing? You know what I mean by that? Turn to 1 Peter 2, let me show, excuse me, 2 Peter let me show it to you. Second Peter one. I, I, it's like somebody gets saved and they say, okay, what's the first thing I do? Well, you tell them what the first thing is. They say, okay, what's the second thing I do? Tell them, here's what he said. The second thing is, can you tell me the nine things you do in order when you come to Jesus? Here they are. Why don't you look with me in second Peter In second Peter, uh, chapter one, he's talking about here about when you come to Jesus, first thing you come to Jesus. And he said, now, all right, we've started following Jesus. Don't just sit down until he gets back. Here's the steps I want you to go through following Jesus. Here they are. <clears throat> For this very reason, verse five, you got to say, very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, what? All right, now your faith is where you came to Jesus. You had to, you put your faith in Jesus. But as soon as I put my faith in Jesus, what's the next thing I want? Virtue. Does your Bible say virtue? You know what virtue is? It's character. It's integrity. I tell the truth. I treat people good. I'm compassionate toward people. So I've met Jesus. I've got faith in Jesus. So now I want to walk in, I want to add virtue to that. What's number three on the list? To virtue, add knowledge. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. I want to grow and know about Jesus. What's number four? What do I add on top of that? Self-control. What's self-control? You ain't popping a cap on nobody no more. By the power of God, you begin to restrain the ugly side of you and it, and it starts, listen, slowly it starts closing in. You say, praise God, I'm growing up. In it. This, what's this called right here? I was a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I grew up into the image of Jesus. What's number five? Now, these are the steps to self-control and perseverance. You know what perseverance is? I'm not up one day and down the next. I'll be here tomorrow. I'll be here the next day. You get rid of the erratic, off the charts, never know where you are. You become consistent and faithful. That's perseverance. You're there. And to perseverance, we add godliness or godlikeness. You begin to see Jesus in me. The traits of Jesus begin to show up. All right, what goes on top of godlikeness? There's something above godlikeness. What is it? Brotherly kindness. I begin to treat the people I go to church with like they're my brothers and my sisters. I begin to treat the people where I work not like they're employees or idiots. I treat them like they're my brothers and sisters. And if you know this world would be a whole lot better place if folks would treat each other like family. All right, what's the description of the church in the Bible? See, in, in the church in America, we think of an organization that has members. That's not biblical. What does the Bible say? Here's the greatest picture of the church in the Father's eyes and what he wants. He said, do not rebuke an older man. Treat an older man in your congregation like he was your father. I should never treat any old, older man, and there ain't many left older than me now, I should never treat any man older than me any different than I'd treat my father. Treat the younger men like your brothers. I got one brother. If you're younger than me, I should treat you just like you're my brother. Treat the older women like your mother. 
I should never treat an older woman any other way than I treat my own mother. And the younger women as your, surely you can guess what that is. Sisters with all purity. You don't hit on your sister. I think, who knows in this culture anymore. Do you understand what God is saying right there? Brotherly kindness means that you begin to act like family. And you begin to treat every person in your church or in your community as though they were your own family. That's real maturity. But listen to me, there's something greater than that. What's the, what's the last one on the list? What's the very pinnacle of the list in growing in Jesus? And to brotherly kindness, add what? Walking in love toward people. Dear we're so impressed with a lot of things. What's the one thing he puts at the top of the stack? The love walk. Learning to walk in love toward people and letting the Holy Spirit cultivate that in our lives and uh, bring it back to center there. Now, I want you to look with me at a scripture and I have a word in a little bit. Turn back to the first Corinthians. Isn't it uh, unusual that in the letter to the, Corinth, to the church at Corinth, first Corinthians, which of the 27 churches in the New Testament, the Corinth church, the church at Corinthians was the most messed up church in there. Probably why he put the greatest message to all the churches in that church. I mean, these people was a hoot. Hoot's the best I can say about them. All right, let me tell you what's happened in our land today. We've put a lot of emphasis on studying. We're going to study. We're going to read some books. We're going to learn about this. We go to church to learn about God. We go to church to learn. And we put a lot of emphasis on knowledge. I'm going to show you the verse that we need to change that with. 1 Corinthians 8.1. See if you agree with this. 1 Corinthians 8.1. Concerning things offered to idols, we know we all have knowledge. Now watch these words. This is 1 Corinthians 8.1. I want, you in this. I want you to hear these words. We know we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. What's the problem with everybody putting the emphasis on knowledge? You get the arrogance that knowledge brings to people. Everyone's knowledge and arrogance go hand in hand. And what did the Bible say here? I, I know you know a lot of stuff. He said knowledge makes people cocky and arrogant. How many people put emphasis on knowledge and they want to argue with you? I've got people who just want to fight with me over biblical facts. Let the world go to hell while we fight, really? I got people who need help. I don't have time to fight with you. It was just not about knowledge. What do we want more than, now I'm not against knowledge, I'm teaching. What's greater than knowledge, according to that verse? Do I want to be cocky or do I want to help people? Knowledge makes you cocky. Love builds people up. I'm convinced we need to get, we're off center. We need to get back to majoring on the love walk instead of knowing so much. There's nothing wrong with knowing things. But we've got to get back to the love walk in our land. And now let me tell you one of the problems here. People think love looks puny. If I, if I love them people and act like that, they'll run all over me. This is where faith comes in. God keeps his word. Love never fails. And you try it and see what he does in your marriage, with your children, with your friends. I'd like to see a church walks in love. Turn a few pages back to 1 Corinthians 13. Actually, let's, uh, let me show you something. And I, I need to do a little, I need to teach you something here. You understand that the Bible was not written with the chapters and verses in it. The Bible's 2000, New Testament's 2000 years old. The chapters and verses were only put in about 500 years ago. Of course, I'm thankful for the chapters and verses. Could you imagine start in Corinthians and meet me somewhere out here? We'll catch up. <laughs> I'm glad for the verses. We can find a specific spot. But do you understand that the chapters and verses weren't put in by God? That was added later by people so we could find places. I said that to say this, just because a chapter comes to an end, God didn't quit talking there. And we think a chapter is a compartment of thought. But 1 Corinthians 13 flows into 14. And what's the first two words in 14? What am I supposed to go after? I want to pursue the love walk. More than anything in my life, I want to pursue the love walk. Now, by nature, I wasn't a very loving person. I was self-centered, mean, and uh, I was just mean. And I was mean is what it was. I wasn't very loving. Well, I came to Jesus. I was born again. And I had an experience with God and I didn't just automatically become like Jesus. Now, some of you are so mushy, you were to start with. You don't get much credit. You was nice before you got to Jesus. But I wasn't very nice. I wasn't very nice to people. I was rude. I was, I was everything flesh is. I had to get saved, but that doesn't make me perfect when you get saved. When I was a child, I acted like a child. When I was, a, I don't mind baby Christians acting like idiots. But if you've been preaching 30 years, you need to grow up. Can I get a witness? 
I can remember I've been saved three weeks and you talk about a devil tactic. I've been saved three weeks, started going to church. They put me on a church softball team. You put a baby Christian on a church? Hell, the Pope can't do that. I mean, this is nuts. I'm sorry. I got to work on my language too. <laughs> they put me on a church softball team. First game, I fly in a cussing fit. Well, not a real cussing fit. I, I, did, I did better than I did before. I was, it wasn't good. I'll just say that. <laughs> and uh, preacher got ill with me. The guy took me aside and he said, he said, y'all get off his back. He'll, he'll get there. See, he knew that when I, when you're a child, you act like a child. But now I've been, I can't be flying into no cussing fit today on people. I should grow up. But when I became a man, I grew up and I put away some things by the grace of God. And I began to act more like Jesus and less like the devil. I, that's so good. I need one amen out of that. That's pretty good right there. I grew into, and let, let me tell you something. Sometimes I get condemned from hell myself. Here's, here's the voice I'll hear in my head. You're 63 years old. You've been a Christian 40 some years. You've been preaching 35 years and you hadn't come no further than this. And I've learned not to leave. Let me tell you what I've learned. I just start singing. He's still working on me. And thank God I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. That's the attitude you want. But I want to, I really, and listen, if you don't want to walk in, if there's not a thing in your heart that wants to love people, I, I really question whether you're born again or not. Listen, dear ones, it's not about can I, it's do I want to do it? Has his love been put in my heart? Certainly it has. And this passage tells of verse 14 to pursue love. Now let me say this, and desire spiritual gifts. We're not saying throw spiritual gifts out the window. We're just saying get them where they belong in priority. And uh, all right, here's, here's a little prophetic word I want to share with you. There's a pitfall in the land today. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm fixing to say. We've started pursuing the spectacular above the love walk today. We, we get far more excited about a miracle or, or something really spectacular than we do just walking in love. I'm not knocking miracles. I, I long for miracles to help people. I don't need a miracle to prove anything. I love people and I just can't help people. God's got to do it. I need miracles to help people. I love the spectacular. I love prophetic words. I, I probably pray in tongues more than y'all. I love spiritual gifts, but dear ones, that kind of stuff cannot get ahead of the love walk. The love walk's got to be superior in everything we do. I'm going to give you a test. Y'all ready for a test? All right, here's your test. Here's your test. I'm going to see where you're at on this thing. We've really got this thing upside down in the American church. Because if you look at Christian television, you hear things, people get all excited over certain things and there's nothing wrong with that. But we got to remember, <clears throat> the Bible said this, above all these things, put on love, which is the top of the ladder. It's the mark of maturity. Nowhere in the Bible does it say tongues will never fail. I mean, to serve a purpose. It does say they'll, go, they'll cease one day. Nowhere does it say the prophecy will never fail. Love will never fail. And of course, that great verse, we're going to look at it in a minute. The three things remain. Love is the greatest. I'm going to tell you, love is the greatest. All right. I'm going to, you ready for your test? You're going to get it either way. Here it is. Me and you go out to eat. I said, let's go out to eat. I'll take you out to eat. And I tell you that God has given me a prophetic word for you. And I want to share it with you. Now, a prophetic word is when God tells you something to help people that nobody else could know except him. They didn't know it. And so I give you a prophetic, I'll just give you an example. Some, several years ago, a man in my church called me and said, I got this guy. I'm working with him and said, uh, he's going to quit his job. He's 40 years old. He's going to quit his job and liquidate everything. He wants to go on the mission field. But he said, something doesn't sound right about it. Would you, could you go out to eat with us and let's talk to him? I said, I'd be glad to. So the three of us went out to eat and we're sitting there and he begins to tell me a story. He's going to sell everything, sell it. He owns a business, going to sell his business and going to go on the mission field and serve God. In my spirit, something, I said, this is something's not right here. It's just not right. This something doesn't sound right here. You know, we need to listen to our spirits too. Listen to me. Word first. Spirit second, listen to our spirits. And I'm just sitting there and God begins to show me what's going on. And so I said, I believe I have a word from heaven for you. He said, what is it? I said, uh, you're going to sell your business and go on the mission field. And you think that that will be payment to God. So he'll save your children. And you think if you'll agree with God that I'll be a missionary, if you'll save my children, that's why you're going on the mission field. And I said, here's the word from God. 
You don't have to go on the mission field to pay for your children to be saved. His son's blood was spilled to save your children. You're going for the wrong reason. And I said, when you get there, you're going to hate it. And I said, you don't have to give up. And I said, you don't even want to go on the mission field, do you? And he started crying. He said, not really. I said, you really want to stay here and run your business, don't you? He said, I really would. I said, well, here, thus saith the Lord. Forget it. You don't need to go on the mission field. You believe him to save your children and believe him that Jesus has paid for it. And you don't have to. That's what you call a prophetic word. It's when God speaks through somebody to help somebody. But listen, it's always for the good of the people. It always helps people. Now, if me and you were to do that and I gave you a prophetic word like that, you might be impressed and say, man, that's pretty cool the way God does that. But here's my test. You ready for the test? Which you'd be more impressed with? The fact that I can bring a prophetic word to you that only God could have known or the fact that I was kind to the waitress that waited on us. If you'd be more impressed with the prophetic word than you were love is kind, we're upside down. You see, we think, man, that's flashy. That's dramatic. It is. Praise God. That saved, that saved that man from messing up and it saved some poor pygmy from having a mad carpenter on his hands. I'm, <laughs> that's great. But let me tell you something. The greatest of these is love. The love walk is above everything else. That's why we need to pursue walking in love above everything else. All right, let me, uh, let me show you this. And again, listen to what the Bible says. Take verses four through seven, put them above verses one through three. Here's what I hear. To be willing to suffer and be kind, to not have your way, to not be touchy, to forget when people make mistakes is greater than being able to prophesy and remove cancer. I'm, and again, I'm not getting, negating that stuff. It's wonderful. I want you to read the great verse with me. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. We need to memorize this verse and cling to it. And now abide faith, hope, and love. Some people tell me that God doesn't do things like he did in the New Testament. Tell me what that says right there. Does, is there faith now? Does faith abide now? Then he still does it. Now abide faith, hope, and love. What are the three things you need more than anything else in life? You gotta have faith to know God. You got to have faith. You got to have hope to live and you got to have love to be content in life and to have a life. Tell me what the greatest, all, greatest of everything is. Tell me what the main thing is. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And 1 Corinthians 13, 13 is the pinnacle of the Bible. Uh, if you go into my house, in our house, the last two houses we built, three houses we built, we, everything's wide open. I mean, the bathroom's closed, but everything's wide open. We don't, we, I didn't want mama in the kitchen and us in the sitting room. Everything's wide open when you go in there. I mean, there's just a long 12 foot bar between the kitchen area and the dining area and the, the sitting area and the hanging out area. It's just wide open. I want the house open because I want us to enjoy each other. And uh, it's 21 feet to the roof, to the ceiling in our house. It peaks down. And every morning when I come out, I, I'm, I'm old, so I'm in a rut. You know, I, I eat the same thing the same way, same time. I come out and I sit down at my bar and I eat my oatmeal because I'm old. My oatmeal and my whole wheat toast every morning. And right there in front of me, my sweet wife, I don't know if you call it stamped or stenciled or printed or stuck. I don't know what she did. But right there, great big letters about 10 foot in the air where everybody can see it when you come in that room, the focal point of that room with these words. And now abide faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. When you, that's just the focal point. You come in our house, you see it. That's it right there. And uh, you know what that's there for? You know, the Bible said, write these words on the walls of your home to remind you to keep some things in priority. You know what I think believers ought to do? We need to write 1 Corinthians 13 on the, on the window of our soul. And especially verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 13 needs to be over the top. If you uh, come in the back door of our house, which we always come in the back door, we never go out the front. Always come, as soon as you walk, as soon as you open the door and walk in, there's a painting right there. It's there eye level for me to see it. It's a picture of a farmhouse penciled with a clothesline. It's got colored clothes on the clothesline. And as soon as you walk in the door, it says right there, home is the place where we have to live out what we like to preach about. Why'd she, why'd she put that there? How many of you know, if I build a huge church and I speak with the tongues of men and angels and I remove cancer, but I don't go home and treat my family good, it profits me nothing. We've got to get love back to its proper place. I got to tell you a funny story about that. Ken Helzer, whose son Jonathan uh, was with Bethel Music. Ken's a buddy of mine and 
Ken's one of the greatest music ministers I've ever met. Just a wonderful guy. And he was out one night. I'm excuse me, gone for a week. He'd been in revival somewhere. And I mean the glory of God. Sometimes you do, God just shows up and it's just wonderful. And he had one of those great God meetings and his wife was back home with their children. Their children were small at the time. And uh, he's just walking in the glory land. I think he's raising the dead or killing the mad or what. I don't know what he's doing, but just the glory of God all over it. So he gets home from this meeting and he's just walking on, on air and everything's so wonderful. He said, I walk in the kitchen, got both bag, both suitcases in my hands. I walk in, there's water all over the floor from the dishwasher. Babies are screaming and my wife looks like she's been beat. And he said, I just walk in and I thought, I've been in the glory of God and now I got to come back into this. He said, I just said, what is this? And he said, that woman looked at me with a look like I ain't seen since I was in Vietnam. <laughs> said she, she started walking toward me. She got real close to me and she said, this is home. This is where you have to live what you like to preach about. He said, mm-hmm. She just turned around and walked off. They got the mess cleaned up. The dishwasher broke. I think it'd been the day from hell for her. How I many even believers can go through bad days? Got the kids, got them all settled in. They got everything cleaned up and done. And <laughs> he said, I'm feeling pretty bad about what I did. And he said, she came there. She said, I'm going to bed. Turned around. He said, and I knew that wasn't an invitation. Either. He said, <laughs> so I'm going by myself. And he went downstairs that night and he said, Lord, he said, I, I've been... He said, I've had the greatest meeting this week. I have touched them people. You've flowed through me. We've raised the dead, healed the sick. People got saved. And then I come home and blew the whole thing up with my attitude. And that night he got up at his table and he painted that picture of that, that farmhouse. Beautiful painting of a farmhouse with a clothesline, everything on it. And that's when he wrote that. He painted that picture that night of home is where you have to live out what you like to preach about. And he said, I, God's always taught me I don't care if you can raise the dead. Are you good to your family? The greatest of these is love. All right, I got to tell you something else about that. We ain't got nowhere to be. Several years ago, a man that I love with all my heart's name is Mickey Evans. He started Dunklin Memorial Camp. I love Mickey dearly. And he's going on to be with Jesus now. I finally got to meet him some years ago. I had a mission trip. Actually, it was a fishing trip to Lake Okeechobee. It was a mission trip. I was ministering to the bass down there, bass family. And I, right there where Mickey was at. So I said, I'm going to get to go meet him. I, to me, Mickey is God Jr. And I wanted to meet him so bad. He was older at the time. He was sick. And so I go to his house. He, I drove over to his house at the, near the ministry center. And there's a guy working in the yard, one of the guys at the, in the program. He said, just going in the back door, said he's in there. All right, I push, I opened the back door and opened it. And right there, I mean, it wasn't three feet, four feet to the wall, staring me right in the face is that Ken Helzer painting. Home is where we have to live. I said, do all preachers struggle with this? What is going on here? And his wife put it up there for him to see. <laughs> Girls, you can get it online at Ken's ministry. <laughs> Here's the point. I don't care. I hope the dead come alive again. I hope sick, you don't know how I would love to see sick people get healed. I'd love to see spiritual gifts come alive in the church again. But more than anything else, we have got to learn to walk in love toward people. And we've got to, above everything else, walk in love toward people. Let me tell you something. The number one thing the Holy Spirit deals with me about, you know what it is? It's not preaching. It's not church management, not even close. The number one thing he constantly deals with me about is the way I treat people all people, all people. Sometimes I go fishing by myself out of town. I go to the coast. He's just as interested the way I treat the lady at the bait shop as is what, what I'm doing up here. I'm, I'm not going to screw up up here. Y'all are watching. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit always deals with my heart about the way you treat people. All right, let me make an announcement I've learned from scripture. He's not near as upset about some things church people are upset about. He's not near as bothered about some things religious people are bothered about. What he really cares about is the way we treat people, is that we walk in love toward people. And I find it to be one of the greatest things in the world to grow in. I'm going to quit by telling you this, one more little deal. Let's, let's turn, look with me real quick. I promise you'll be out here in an hour. <laughs> Ephesians 5. I want, you to sit, I want you to hold to this scripture right here. All right, here's the call. This is the call on my life and your life. 
Now, some of us are called to be preachers. We have different spiritual gifts. Some of us have certain gifts. Some of us have different callings, but we're all called to do one thing. Everybody's called to do one thing in Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as what? Aggravating children? Dumb children? More than anything else, I want you to know you are a dear child to God. That he loves you dearly. Be imitators of God as dear children. Y'all ever see that? Have you ever seen a boy that's just like his daddy? You know what our goal is? To become chips off the old block. To be just said, I want you to be imitators of God as dear children. And here it is. And walk in love as Christ loved us. Now the love, love walk means live in love. I want to practice it. I want to do it. I want to get up in the mornings and I want to treat my family the way the Bible said to treat them in 1 Corinthians 13. I want to go to work and treat people that way. I want to deal with people that way. And I want to grow in that. <clears throat> Tell me something. If I'm going to become like God, what am I going to start doing? I'm going to start walking in love. Let me tell you the one more little thing that I think. Uh, I just, there's a, there's a burden on my heart that people are chasing the sensational instead of the biblical at times. And that there's nothing wrong with why. I think wild things happen when he's around. But dear ones, my daily love walk is the most important thing in the world. Nothing above it. You ever heard of a teacher named Joyce Meyer? You ever heard of Joyce Meyer? Uh, it, she's, she's a woman. If, if you've never heard, if you didn't, if you just heard on the radio, you'd think she's a man because she's got a man's voice. And she tells these jokes about people thinking that, and she said, anywhere I call, people say, yes, sir. And she, she's got a, a different kind of voice. Anyway, she's a Bible teacher. Most effective Bible teacher in the nation in the last 30 years, in my opinion. I don't know anybody that has helped more people and helped more people grow up in Jesus than Joyce Meyer. And uh, I know some people have a problem with her, number one, because she's a woman. Take it up with God. And, uh, and plus also she's in the charismatic circles. That bothers some people. We've got to quit bo getting bothered about stuff. God will straighten everything out if we'll just walk in love. And uh, she's, she's, very good. she's written 135 books. I do good to fill out my tax forms once a year. She's written 135 books. I want you to listen to something she said. And she has seen God move like few people have. She's very gifted. She's seen some crazy, th wonderful things, crazy things. I heard her say this not long ago. I may have read it. I don't remember she said it. She said this, after getting saved, the biggest decision you'll ever make is to follow Jesus. She said, but after I began to follow Jesus, she said, the greatest decision of my life was to pursue the love walk above everything else was to learn how to walk in love and learn how to treat people the way God wanted me to treat people. He, she said, that's the greatest decision I ever made. And I think she wrote a book called, um, I'll see if I can remember it. Um, some, uh, bring me down to, distill me to love. Reduce me to love. I'm sorry, distill me. Uh, mine's in the brewery now. <laughs> Reduce me. And by the way, you got to forgive me. Don't remember what I said there. That crowd that comes on Sunday wouldn't like that. All right. She wrote a book called Reduce Me to Love and it simply said this, if you're going to do one thing, learn how to love people. Let the love of God, let's learn how to walk this walk out. And you know where it all begins? By burying yourself in 1 Corinthians 13 and saying, teach me what it is, Lord. Show me what this is and show me how to do it. Uh, I forget who I heard say it, but I heard it years ago when he said this, if they send you to prison, which could be applied to my church, if they send you to prison, and you can't have but one page out of the Bible, which page would you get? First Corinthians 13. And you take that one page out of the Bible, take it to prison, and it'll, it'll carry you for the rest of your life. If you're in communist China or wherever, couldn't have but one page, that'd be it. I would encourage you to find First Corinthians 13. It's one of them places I just go back and check it regular, just to sort of say, well, let me hold the plumb line up here. How many of you ever like tried to set a post or a pole and you thought it was right, but it wasn't? I told you I did one last week and I knew it was straight. I thought the um, level was wrong. Have you ever, let me make an announcement. The level's right, I'm wrong. Are you with me? They got no right to treat me like that. I don't want to hear it. I'm right. I would encourage you to get the level out. Put it right. No, no, put it right here. So let me see. Ooh, love does what? Ah. <laughs> uh, I'll be right back. I got to go pray for a minute. Let's walk in love. You ready? Oh, Jesus, we love you and praise you and thank you. Above everything else, you laid down your life for us. And it was the greatest act of love in world history for you to lay down. And everything just goes back to the love of God. 
Father, that's not the knowledge of God. It's not the wrath of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that's the only hope we have in this planet. And I want to praise you and thank you. I pray that you would impress on people's hearts tonight. You don't need to be smart. There's nothing wrong with it. You don't need to have techniques. If you'll walk this love in your family, you'll have a family. It's great. Your love won't fail. Do this in your marriage. Love won't fail. Do this with your children. Do it with your parents. Live this out at work. Love will never fail. Love never fails. And I thank you and praise you. A lot of us will never be able to preach like Billy Graham, sing like Sandy Patty. A lot of us will never be able to prophesy like certain people, but not a one of us that can't grow in the love walk and begin to practice it toward people. I trust you for that. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Let Jesus be glorified. Lord Jesus, I just want to say personally, this is the, I'm having more fun than I ever had in my life just following you and wanting to be like you where people are. Thank you for plenty of opportunities. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I love